tonight. We're just going to jump right in to Hebrews 8. So we're going to pick up in verse 7. We read this and didn't talk about it much. That's kind of how we ended last week. Hebrews 8, verse 7 through 13. That's the end of the chapter. If you'll just read it with me, we're going to look at that whole passage as one, you know, one topic, and we're going to talk about it as one topic. So let's just pick up right here. For if that first covenant, that's the old covenant, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, that was the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach uh, every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that He saith the new covenant, He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. We're just going to start right here and compare these two covenants uh, the best we can in this passage. And this is really um, the key of what's being talked about here. The old covenant was a shadow. And because it was a shadow, because it was a figure, a type, uh, almost like an illustration, the Old Covenant was like an illustration, because it was that, it did not actually, uh, it could never do for men what men needed to be done for their lives. It in and of itself. Now God always could. God was a Savior before the law was given, during the law of Moses, after the law, during the New Covenant, you know, the, He's the Savior and the Lord all through that. The Lord can always save men. Alright? But the law is what you have to look at. God is not His law. He gave a law to men. But there was a law before. There, there was a covenant God made with Noah, right? There was a covenant God made with Abraham. This was the covenant. When we th talk about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament specifically, we're talking about that which was given to Moses on Mount Sinai for the, for the uh, Israelites at that time. But that law in the law itself could never do for sinful men what sinful men needed done in their lives. But Jesus can. Okay? So we're going to talk about this. So I pray that when we're through, not just with tonight, but with this study on Hebrews, that we're going to have a much better understanding, not perfect, and go back and study it again and learn more. But that we'll have a much better understanding of the purpose of the law what was the fault of the law, so to speak? Because it says if that first law had been faultless, there wouldn't have been a need for a second, right? Well, the fault, he says, finding fault with them. The fault was because there was a covenant. A covenant has two parties. And the party was God, who's sinless and perfect and, and a keeper of covenants, okay? And he, he made a covenant with a sinful people. He knew how it was going to turn out, okay? Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Uh, he, it was all planned by the Lord. And so, uh, but he made it was two parties making a covenant. And it was, there were conditions in that covenant. There really were. God's merciful. He's always merciful. Okay, but in the covenant itself, 
there were there were statements where God said, "If you will obey my words and keep my sayings and keep the uh, the commandments of of this covenant, then I will." And we could read the scriptures in the Old Testament. I'll bless your your fruit of your womb, and you know your your crops are going to bring forth, and your enemies won't be able to stand against you. And I'll keep these sicknesses from you, and I'll send the rain when you need the rain, and keep it away when you don't need it. If you will keep my commandments and walk in them. Now that's what the Lord desired. All right? And there were times that people would get real excited about it and say, We're going to do it. Joshua, Moses, everything God has said, we're going to do. And as soon as they were saying that, Moses is saying, You're not going to keep them. You're not going to keep his commandments. He's a holy God. You're not going to keep his commandments. But there were conditions. And they said, If you do not. The Lord Moses stood up on Mount Gerizim. Okay, there's two mountains on the outskirts of going into the Promised Land, and he called all the congregation of Israel together, and he said, "Thus saith the Lord, if you keep my commandments." Then he pronounces all the blessings. God's going to do this, 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 and this, and they're all wonderful blessings of God, like no other. The Israelites are going to be like no other nation on the face of the earth, with God Almighty being their God. And it was going to be evident. They were to be a light to the Gentiles and show people how to come to this wonderful God and how holy He is and how He blesses His people. And so this whole system of worship was given through the law. And then He comes down that mountain. He goes up to Mount Ebal and He stands and pronounces all the curses. If you do not keep the commandments of the Lord, it's almost verbatim, here's what's going to happen to you. The curses that God, are the judgments that God's going to send upon you. Nowhere in that was eternal salvation. Even in the keeping of the law, one of the promises was not, you're going to go to heaven when you die. The law was not given for that purpose. It was an illustration for several reasons to show the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, how he was to be approached. He's a God of order. He's holy. And in all the order and all the, the feast and the, and the tabernacle and everything, we're to get into more of this. All of it was to show uh, portrait or portrayals of Jesus and His coming. Interwoven in all of it. The blood sacrifices, like we've said, the scapegoats. And that's why when John the Baptist sees Jesus, and Jesus is finally a fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, right? And He points to Him and He says, Behold, the Lamb of God. It just fit perfectly with the law that was given, but it was better. Better priest, a better priesthood, a better covenant, and true salvation and cleansing from sin would come through this Lamb. Okay, And as part of this new covenant, when a man puts their faith in Jesus. He was still the Savior in the Old Testament. Okay, Don't get any of that confused. Look unto me and be saved, it says in Isaiah. Now I want to look at a couple of passages here. I want you to turn and, uh, to Romans chapter 7. You can keep your spot marked there in Hebrews, but turn to Romans 7, and we're going to read just a few verses, starting in verse 12. And I just want you to see, I know I've said these things, but I want you to get it, and I want to get it in my mind and in my heart. How, what was that law like? What, what it was and what it wasn't. Okay, but just a couple of scriptures. Romans 7, verse 12. Wherefore the law... He's speaking about the Levitical law. is holy. Alright? So there's no need for us to badmouth the law. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. That's some pretty strong words. What about the Lord and His law? I'm sorry, what about the law? It was holy, just, and good. 
Was then that which is good made death unto me? In other words, did this law kill me or bring about death in me? God forbid, but sin. Sin's the problem. The law made it more evident. The law enumerated it. The law spelled it out more clearly. The law made men frustrated because they saw how they couldn't keep it. It was right in your face. It was very specific. It was very literal. They knew the consequence for it. They knew the sacrifice that had to be made for their sin. But it didn't make sin appear. There was sin before the law. Adam and Eve sinned. And it's by one man's sin, death entered into the world. Okay, but sin, the law, the Bible does say, made sin exceedingly sinful. In other words, it made it more, like I said, evident in your face. It highlighted it. And I said, I think that the result would be very frustrating to people that really wanted to live for God. They would find that their salvation was not in their ability to keep the commandments of God. Their salvation had to be in a merciful Savior that would save them. So let's keep reading. But sin, verse 13, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might be ex- become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law, here's another statement about the law, is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So the law was spiritual, good, just, holy. That's what God's Word says about the law. What does Paul say about himself? And what does the author of Hebrews say? Where was the breakdown? Where was the fault in that first covenant? Finding fault with them. If we had been Hebrews in that day that the law was given, God would have found fault with us. We would have seen the fault because the law would have highlighted it to us. You've done this. okay? You missed the mark. You've transgressed the law. The law of Almighty God. And you've transgressed it. But He's merciful. He's merciful. Offer this sacrifice. An animal. Do it the way that it's prescribed in the law. Do it the way that I've given you. It will be for an atonement which was a covering for sin. Alright, let's look at another passage. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. We read some of this last week, but I want to read it again. Galatians 3, 21-27. Is the law then against the promises of God? Some people today might tell you that it was, but it's not. God forbid. Galatians 3, 21. It's not against the promises of God. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. That's what it says. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Just like Abraham was. Just like Abraham was. Just like any man that's ever been justified on this planet, anybody that's ever received the true righteousness of God, it has come by faith. Before, during, and after the law. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. We're not under it. It's not opposed to us. It's not our schoolmaster anymore. It's not our tutor. We're not under it. We're not held up until someday. You know, a tutor was like, uh, in this day and age, they would have had a tutor that would actually train the kids, like teach them, not only school, but how to be a man or how to be a woman. The tutor in the house would like 
until they reached a certain age of adulthood, then they were no longer under a tutor. The tutor was good. The tutor was doing a fine thing. The tutor was a help. But there came a point when they were they had a liberty and they weren't under that tutor. They weren't kept under a tutor anymore. They're an adult. They can go live it out now and walk it out. And that's what he's saying here. So I want to turn back uh, to Hebrews 8 and look at this for just a minute. All right, we're looking at this whole passage. But the Old Testament provided for atonement for sin through the blood sacrifices. God required it. He prescribed it for sin. Certain things for certain sins. Remember we talked about last week, continual blood sacrifices. The amount of blood that was shed is mind-boggling. Every day and every night. Continually. That's not to mention the Day of Atonement or let's say Alberto lived in that day and he committed a sin and he would come with his offering to the priest and say, I uh, used unjust balances in my business. And I, and I, and I did, you know, I took money from my brother. I, I took usury and, you know, interest from my brother on a loan. And, I'm, and I know it's wrong in God's Word says it. He would bring it a sacrifice and they would always, always, always blood being shed. And so the Old Covenant, the Old Law given to Moses provided an atonement for sins. He prescribed it. He required it. And then, thank God, He accepted it. But those didn't save the person. What they did do is keep them living and keep them to where they could approach God. Or they could come into the, the outer court of the tabernacle. Or you know, live in a right standing with God and with His people. And so God accepted that. If they died without, outside of faith in God, they still were going to hell. Okay? And, but the New Covenant, um, the New Covenant not only provides an atonement, which it does, the blood of Jesus, but a removal of sins. A deep down heart cleansing. Okay? Which does fit a man for heaven. Which does make us clean. Which does make us right. And there's not the frustration... Also, He breaks the power of sin to where we really can live the way God's called us to live. And that is exciting. There is a victory over sin. Not only a forgiveness of sins, but a victory over sin. To where we're tempted and the things that used to tempt us don't tempt us any longer. Now, we still wrestle with things. We all do. Everybody in this room does. But you've known victories in your life. You've known victories. The things that you used, sins you used to commit and, and not be able to stop, you, you, you're able to now because the Lord has given you a victory over those. And this is, the, this is the difference, one of the differences in the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. Now, I do want to read the passage because it's quoted in Hebrews 8 about the New Covenant. Where does it come from? Keep your spot in Hebrews and turn it. Jeremiah 31. We're going to read 31 through 37. I believe that's it. 31. We'll pick up in verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Listen to who he says who will make it with. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Jesus came from the uh, tribe of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Alright, so the people broke the covenant. Covenants between two parties. God kept His part. The people broke the covenant. 
although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with them, with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write, in their, write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Uh, let's just stop right there. So that's pretty much what's, quote, what's requoted in Hebrews 8, right? That's the new covenant. Now the question is, we see the breakdown. We saw it several times. The weak link in the covenant was not God's part. It was man's part. Therefore, there was a need for a new covenant. Now, as I said, it, was, it wasn't a surprise to God that there was, there was going to be a new covenant. But he's simply saying that first covenant was not faultless. There was fault with them. They broke the covenant. They didn't keep the covenant. And God promised a new covenant that would come. Here's the question, and I've thought about it. Maybe you have before. When is that, what does that prophecy refer to? In other words, uh, when he says, I'm going to make a new covenant, and he describes it. When is that new covenant? In other words, is that the church age? Is that the second coming of the Lord? It's a good question, and I don't think we should just assume we know the answer. When we study it, you know, when I studied it and found out more about it, and I, I am in agreement with the answer that I found. He says, first of all, this that I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Bless you. The house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's who the covenant's with, right? And the kingdom was divided and so forth, and he made a covenant with, with both. The answer to this, and I'm totally total agreement with it, is that this new covenant was initiated or started in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross. Okay? In his death, burial, and resurrection. He said, and I'll just read the scripture, we all know it. This is the new covenant in my blood, okay? This is the new covenant in my blood. So he tells us that it's through the blood of Jesus. But when are the actual benefits of it and who are they for? Because he said, I'm making it with Israel and Judah. Well, Jesus, salvation is of the Jews. Salvation was offered first to the Jews. He came to his own, Jesus did, and his own received him not. So here's the answer, and I, I believe this. The covenant was initiated at Christ's death. The finished work on the cross when Jesus died and rose again and said it's finished. The church of Jesus Christ is made up in, in his day, okay, or after, right immediately after his day in the book of Acts, for example, is made up of who? Jews and Gentiles by faith in Jesus. That church, and we're living in the church age, the church today is still made up of Jews and Gentiles. We benefit from that right now. We are beneficiaries of the new covenant of Jesus Christ in His blood right now. The nation of Israel, not, not the church, Jewish Christians, the nation of Israel as a whole that rejected Christ, they will benefit at the, of, of this new covenant 
It'll be a benefit to them, and they'll be a partaker of it at the second coming of the Lord. Because all of it is by faith. Don't forget that. So we got saved by faith. And we're washed in the blood of Jesus by faith. We're part of the family of God by faith. We're a beneficiary of this new covenant. He's my high priest because by faith I gave my life to Jesus. And He saved me by His grace. Same for Jews and Gentiles. But a Jewish nation that as a whole rejected Him and said He's not our Messiah. We don't want this man to rule over us. His blood be upon us and our children. Right? As a whole. It's very clear they rejected Him. And so now, they are not lost, they're lost people, but God says, I'm making a covenant with Israel and Judah. At the second coming of the Lord, what's going to happen? When the Lord comes back, not the rapture, the second coming at the Battle of Armageddon, the setting, the scene there in the Valley of Megiddo is the Antichrist and all of his armies that he's mustered together from the nations of the earth that have a uh, unholy hatred for Israel, and they want to wipe, you know, mop it off the, wipe it off the face of the earth, and wipe it out. They're coming against Jerusalem, and they're about to do that. And that's when the Lord comes back on a white horse. The armies of God that will be us. Hallelujah, following the Lord, and He is going to rescue Israel and Jerusalem. And the Bible says. Zechariah, and there's some other scriptures, then that is when the Jewish nation, that would be surviving people, real people, okay, that are Jewish, that had rejected the Lord, that are still living, and they've lived through the tribulation, and they're still there, and they're about to get wiped out, and the Lord comes back, and they're going to look up, every eye's going to see Him, and the Bible says that a nation is going to be born in a day. They're going to be born again in a day. They're going to look upon Him whom they pierced and they're going to weep for Him. And I can't imagine that weeping because they crucified their Savior. I know it's our sin that put Him there. But still, they rejected Him and they're going to mourn for Him as one that mourns for like a a child that's died, their own son that's died. And so then they'll believe then they will become beneficiaries of the new covenant that Jesus made in His blood with Israel and Judah. So the answer is, is this promise for Jews or Gentile is for people of faith. The covenants with Israel and Judah. When do they benefit from it? As soon as a person gives their life to the Lord, they're a beneficiary of this new covenant. Alright? Because it's in His blood. That's the, that's the covenant. is in His blood. Israel will benefit at it at the second coming. And when that, that's part in Jeremiah which says that nations, you won't be telling everybody, know the Lord, know the Lord anymore. Because everybody's going to know me. You know, it's going to be like the millennial reign of Christ where, where uh, He's literally reigning on this earth. Literally has a government set up on this planet ruling over people. And I'll just quote this from Isaiah 11. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Earth's going to be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I believe that's part of the new covenant. Okay? Part of the new covenant. So, what's better about the new covenant? We're going to recap some things. He offered himself, not an animal. We talked about that last week. The priest offered animal sacrifices. Even if it was spotless and just exactly the way it was supposed to be, it was still an animal. 
and he could make a covering when it was done the right way. God accepted it. But he offered himself. Um, the new covenant will put away sin. Puts away sin. Washes it. Cleanses it. Doesn't merely cover it up to be exposed again maybe at some other time. Um, it, also, this new covenant would give a believer, all of this is by faith, gives a believer a pure and clean conscience. We hadn't really talked about that much. A pure and clean conscience. I know that I can um, stand a lot of times because I have a clean conscience. You know what I'm saying? I can, <coughs> I can live and not go out of my mind even though life is hard. And even though there's a lot of temptations, because He's washed me in His blood, He's given me a clean, undefiled, pure conscience. And I'm not just tormented all the time. I don't have to cover it up with a bunch of lies and make myself look good to y'all. I have a clear conscience because the Lord has forgiven me. And He's put my sins away from me as far as, as the East is from the West. So this is better about the New Covenant. God was always merciful and always the forgiver of sins. But under the old law, those sacrifices that were made could not give the worshiper a pure conscience. This new covenant, we can have a pure, clean conscience, okay? Uh, also, under this new covenant, there's a way open for the believer to enter into God's presence that was not before, okay? And also, and lastly, uh, this new covenant is not based upon, upon conditions, other than faith, okay? Other than faith, it's not based upon if you do this, 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 and this. Uh, I will do this, 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 and this. It's, it's simply, I will do this if you come to me by faith. Okay? It's unconditional in that sense. Also, it's eternal, not temporal. It's internal, not external. All those, the tabernacle and the, the sacrifices and everything was always kind of on the outside. It was physical. It was really there. They would go to the temple. They'd bring a real lamb. It was always outside of the person. But this new covenant is written on our inward parts. Okay? I will write my laws and I'll put them in their minds and I will put them, plural, the laws of God in our hearts. Again, I don't at all believe He's written the law of Moses in our hearts and minds. I don't believe He's written ceremonial laws or ritualistic laws or civil laws. I think He's written the laws, the moral laws of God, like are talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Hating, you know, lust and adultery, uh, those kind of things. The, the moral laws of God, I believe that's included in what's written in our hearts, okay? So, um, let's, let's move on. The righteousness in this new covenant is imputed to the believer. And God declares this righteous standard, and He declared it in the Old Testament, but the power, He didn't give the power to keep it in the law itself. But in this new covenant, he gives us the power to perform it. And He imputes just the very first thing He does when you come to Jesus. A lost person comes to Jesus and says, save me. Well, I don't know what order, but the Lord saves them. Okay? But one of the first things He does or instantly at that moment, He imputes the righteousness of Jesus to that individual. 
It had nothing to do with their performance. It had nothing to do with how well they did. It had to do with genuine faith in the saving Gospel of Jesus Christ and them sincerely giving themselves over to Him. Okay? And so, He still has the righteous holy standard, but He provides it through this new covenant. He doesn't just tell us what it is and describe it and say, here's how a righteous man needs to be in order to be with God or worship God or go to heaven one day. It is provided through this new covenant because the new covenant is in the blood of Jesus. He is our righteousness. For He had made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the Father, what He did with His Son, Jesus. Let's look at a Scripture here. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. We know the passage, but Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained, past tense, okay, like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. It's His righteousness, right? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power, whose it's God's divine power, has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That was not part of the Old Covenant. God was still good. God was still merciful. If a man put their faith in God like David did or Abraham or Noah or Enoch, God would still be their Savior. Okay? They looked forward to a coming Savior. But this in itself was not part of the Old Covenant. I'm trying to separate the God of the Old Testament from the covenant of the Old Testament. Okay? God was still merciful and foretold a coming Savior. Men by faith looked ahead. We by faith look back at a finished work of Jesus who has come. But this was not part of the Old Covenant. It says, According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. So He calls us to this life of glory and virtue and godliness, and He gives us by His divine power the, what, the way to live, the ability to live a godly life. That He demands... And then He enables us to do it. So we're not frustrated. I might be frustrated in my flesh when I get my eyes off of Jesus and I fall and I sin. But I'm, He has enabled us to live this life. I'm not waiting for Him to enable me to live this life. He has enabled me to live this life. And daily He refills me with His Spirit. And every day He is sufficient for what I'll, the temptations and trials I'll face that day. And He's instructing me through His Word. And He's encouraging me through the body. And He's growing me and conforming me to the image of Jesus. But He has empowered us. It says He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through our, not through, through our performance, but through our knowledge of Him who called us. Through our knowledge of God. This is eternal life. That they may know Thee, the only true God. It's through this new birth and a true saving knowledge of Jesus, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, all this is past tense, you've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's already done so much for us. And we talked about, I think it was in chapter 2 of Hebrews, it's so great salvation, right? So great salvation. And these are things that the Lord's done for us. 
Now I want to keep moving on. The old, the old law was written where? Where was it literally written? Tables of stone. Right? Two tablets of stone that Moses... The Bible says he actually carved those out the second time around. Moses had to make them because he broke the first ones. And he, he re-carved them out. And, and they were written with the finger of God. But they were on two tables of stone. And he comes down the mountain. I don't know how he held them, but still they were the laws. And this is the Ten Commandments. And it was a law given to people for them to obey, for them to live under that system. But in the New Covenant, where are the laws of God written? The Bible says He's in our minds. Put them in our hearts, in our minds, and written them in our hearts. They're not tables of stone that I have to look up and see them hanging up above the door or something like that to remind me. Because I have a conscience. And I've been saved. And the Holy Ghost lives inside of me. And the Holy Ghost is holy. So I'm not thinking all day long, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not bear false witness. It's part of our nature. The nature of Christ that's in us. The Holy God that saved us. Certainly we think about those things from time to time. But that's not what keeps us straight, so to speak. Oh, outward law. It is the inward law of the Lord in our hearts that He's written there. In our hearts. In the deepest place in your life, God has put those moral laws. Again, I don't believe at all. It's the Mosaic Law. It's written about the leprosy and keeping this feast and offering blood sacrifices. But the moral laws of God, His nature, His character, the way He wants His people to live. Okay, I believe that that's written in our hearts. I just want to read this Scripture. Uh, you don't have to turn there. 2 Corinthians 3.3 For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So, it is written there. It's permanent. It's part of us. But I don't go to see it somewhere or memorize it. It's, it's this new life of Christ in me. And it's God working in me both to do and will and do of His good pleasure. This is not a lower standard that we live by than what was required under the Old Covenant. It's actually a higher standard. But praise God, there's also the enabling to do it. To keep the covenant. God made an unconditional covenant with us, but we can walk in this life and follow it. And now it says at the end of chapter 8, if you're back in Hebrews 8.13, he says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. It does not mean that He was never merciful before the new covenant. You understand that. This is simply part... This, this what He's saying here, is part of the new covenant. doesn't mean He wasn't merciful before this. So many scriptures in the Bible, the Old Testament about His mercy. If it wasn't for God's mercies, uh, Jeremiah said we'd be consumed. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Alright, verse 13. In that He saith a new covenant, He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Simply that those phrases wax old and vanish away. I looked them up just to, to explain what they mean. It says they, these old law. Because of the new one coming, then there's not a need for the old one anymore. Okay, the old covenant, um, it means to be outdated. To be outdated. To pass away. To be obsolete. You know how technology, especially with the, the uh, cell phones, the iPhones and all, 
you know, they give the latest, greatest version and everybody's got to go get them because this old one's obsolete. They tell us it's obsolete anyway. And we have to go get the new one and a new laptop or whatever. Well, it, the, old, the old covenant that God made that was good and just and holy and pure and spiritual is outdated. It's passed away. It's obsolete. And one of the definitions of those phrases means to wane in strength. It's like decreasing in strength. It's kind of fading away and has faded away in strength. It was fulfilled by Jesus. It wasn't like somebody came up with a bazooka, set the Ten Commandments up on the wall and said, this thing's idiotic. We're going to blow it up. Serves no purpose, no point. Jesus fulfilled it. He said, until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle of this law you know, is going to go unfulfilled. But He fulfilled it Himself. He perfectly fulfilled the law. Not the way the Pharisees would have done it, because they added a lot of things to the law that were not part of the law that God gave. And their hearts were so far from God, they didn't go even at it, at the law, and keeping it with a, a spiritual or godly or loving attitude. Okay? He fulfilled it the way it was supposed to be fulfilled. Perfectly. And by His fulfillment, He finally completed it. He fulfilled it. So therefore, it's waxed away. It's passed away. It's become obsolete. And it's all about Him now. He fulfilled it. So the righteousness of the law was fulfilled in Jesus. So that when I give myself to Jesus, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in me. It's imputed to me. The righteousness of Jesus is imputed to me. That's how I can benefit from that and truly be righteous. God can save sinful people and not compromise His standard because He literally can take people and by faith in Jesus make them righteous because He's righteous. It's an amazing thing. He can take sinful people and save them and not compromise. Not let them slide. Not bend the rules. Not change the law. He just fulfilled the law. And we put our faith in the one who, who fulfilled it. And so Matthew Henry, I got this quote from him and I like that. It. it says, the old covenant is of no more use in gospel times, that's our times, than candles are when the sun has risen. Candles have a purpose, but they're no more, if we're outside in the backyard back here at 3 a.m. and the light's not up, and the sun's not up yet, and we need candles because candles we're going to do something out there, we need that light. And it gives a little light a few feet around you and able to do what you need to do right there. When the sun's up fully and the sun is shining, those little candles blow them out, throw them away. We don't need them anymore. And that's kind of the picture that's given. And Jesus is called the light of the world. And those that sat in the regions of darkness, light has shined upon them. The prophecies about Jesus. And so we don't have any need, nor should we have any desire to go back under some law. First of all, we're not Jewish, and we were never part of that law, okay? As far as the, the ceremonial and so forth. And we shouldn't have any desire. Sometimes some people are tempted. They, they make them feel better if they feel like I'm doing a bunch of things. And I can see that a religious person could, could get some amount of satisfaction from that. But there's no need. There's nothing there for us. It's obsolete. It's waned in strength. It's decayed. It's waxed, waxed away. And you know, I really thought I was going to get a lot further than this tonight. But uh, 
we're going to start on chapter 9 next week. And, uh, and it's the next week, what the, the, the better. You know, everything about Hebrews is better. Everything about Jesus is better. What's going to be better is a better sanctuary. And he's going to compare, at least in the first part of the chapter, the, the tabernacle. And we'll just, we're going to discuss the tabernacle just a little bit, just so we get a picture of it in our minds. Not the temple, but the tabernacle. Okay? And it's, there's a better tabernacle. Because that was an earthly tabernacle that was made after a heavenly pattern. But there's a real heavenly tabernacle in a place of worship where Jesus our high priest has entered in and we can come meet with Him there without an intercessor other than the Lord on our behalf. And so we're going to talk about a better tabernacle or a better sanctuary is how the, the author of Hebrews puts it next week. So I'm just going to, we're just going to close with that, y'all. And I, I pray that this is a blessing to you. I know it's been a blessing to me. Just like when you prepare for anything, if you're preparing to teach Sunday school, you probably study a lot more than what you actually have time to teach in the class. And uh, it's, it's been a real blessing to me. I pray it has to you. I pray it's a blessing in the life of this church to help us just grow in the Lord and His Word, to be so thankful and appreciative for Jesus and for what He's done and for His blood that was shed and a better sacrifice and everything that we had in the Lord. And we can do that and thank God and be appreciative and yet not disdain the Old Covenant. It's obsolete. It's passed away. It served its purpose. I don't have to ridicule it or mock it or hate it or anything like that. I can just be thankful for what I have in Jesus. I'm glad that I'm not part of it. I'm glad that I live on this side of the cross. You know, but God chose me to live on this side of the cross. And so I'm glad we live in what we call the, the, the church age where it's been fulfilled and I'm part of that new covenant by the blood of Jesus. I'm glad that when y'all leave, if I want to, I can go back in my bedroom and come into the most holy place of all and meet with the Lord by myself. I'm glad. I'm thankful for that. And so, but I want us to do that now for a little while. Again, and just thanking God, just um, meditating on the Lord, calling upon the Lord. Let's lift up our voices to the Lord. Let's lift up our prayers to God. If the Lord lead uh, to the Lord, if God leads you to go pray over somebody, pray over them. Let's take some time as deep plays and just worship the Lord this, some tonight and thank Him.